Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Discover More. This week, we continue our conversation with Ross Roddy. Ross is a talented arborist, podcast host, accountant, and YouTuber. In last week's conversation, we discussed the power of gardening and homegrown food, while this week, we dive into all things health and functional medicine. Functional medicine is a form of alternative medicine that focuses on solving the root problem rather than fixing symptoms, and Ross learned a lot about it through studying the work of Dr. Mark Hyman. By applying functional medicine principles and eliminating gluten and dairy from his diet, Ross shares that he was able to move on past the depression that plagued him from years growing up. He also shares his most powerful tips to building a successful side business. This occurs at the end of the episode, so be sure to stick around for these insights. We hope you enjoy this week's episode of Discover More with us and Ross Rowdy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Maybe it's overhyped. I don't know. I really, I think, <laughs> I think you're right. But like, again, I, it's, uh, it's so hard for me to like say it's a more interesting hobby because of that reason. It's just, it's like one of those grander questions than what I think you might be able to come. Like, it's like almost like approaching the meaning of life or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think the way Aiden put it, I also resonate with, he called your hobby of growing figs or being in tune with nature through a lens of life. And just to echo what you talked about, which I agree, because I think I was talking more on the physical level about the actual interactions between the neurons of us versus the soil, whereas you're alluding more towards the metaphysical about the purpose, the fulfillment, the feedback, the joy you feel from art. But I think whether it's art, whether it's music or growing trees, there are just different vehicles or different lenses to view life. And whichever brings the most joy and purpose and meaning and whichever you perceive as the most special, that's it. It's not about like woke Olympics, a term that I picked up recently, or it's not about a hobby Olympics. We're not competing. Oh, my hobby brings the most purpose. Fuck your hobby. It's not that, right? It's about whatever hobby it is that's specific to your need, as long as it's special to you. And as long as it helps you to view life, whatever that vehicle may be, it's special. Yeah, this is why I need you in my life at all times, I think. I'll just hire Ben to follow me around. I'll say some crazy shit, and then Ben will like, translate it, put it in like, very simple terms. That like, wraps it all up. I mean, um, yeah, but so uh, on that note, I think this is a perfect segue because uh, obviously we've discussed so much. And But I do want to also talk about another tangible benefit is you talked about the flavors that we've all been collectively proud of, but also the nutrients. And you've disclosed some of your health deficits or some of the conditions you've been suffering from. And you've explained to us how incorporating your philosophy of trees and the nature and the nutrients into your actual pragmatic life in terms of your diet have really, really positively influenced you. 
Uh, would you be able to elaborate on that uh, in a further detail for all of us? Yeah, sure. I don't mind sharing. Um, I think uh, what I've learned, at least, really try to make people more aware of this as well on my channel, my podcast. Actually, just recently raised a little bit of money for functional medicine. I've been really uh, into functional medicine and especially a particular doctor named uh, Dr. Mark Hyman. I'm watching his podcast, it's called The Doctor's Pharmacy, and really learning about health because I've always been very interested in health. The information, like anything in this world, is so abundant and scattered and it's like coming at you in every which way direction. It's so overwhelming. You don't know who to trust. You don't know who to look towards. And I think uh, that's probably the biggest problem with today's society, to be honest with you, is just the amount of information that's coming at us. But there's going to be one guy or women that have all the answers, right? And for me, it was it was Dr. Hyman. It was with functional medicine. So I looked at it and he explained it pretty well. It's kind of like looking at medicine, not in the traditional way, where in the traditional way, people put together a lot of let's say Ben's my doctor and I come to Ben and I say, Hey Ben, um, I got gas. I got brain fog. I got some other problem. And then Ben, Ben is like in a traditional sense, he's like, Oh, well you have SIBO or you have some problem. That's kind of traditional is that they'll put together all these symptoms that you have and then diagnose you with that, whatever they think it is. And then they'll treat that diagnosis and they'll put a bandaid on it. So at least for me, I really, looked at it always traditional medicine and thought, why are we doing this? Like, it doesn't make sense. Why put a bandaid on the problem? If we can somehow, if we are smart enough to get to the root of the problem, to fix the actual problem. So it doesn't happen anymore. I mean, that's like basic problem solving, right? So functional medicine, at least I learned right off the bat from Dr. Hyman was that it's just a better way to look at medicine about looking at the root cause. Why do you have gas? Why do you have brain fog? Why do you have all these problems? Instead of saying you have SIBO or you have IBS or whatever it is, and then treating that thing. After watching his videos, I um, I realized specifically that one of the most powerful things you can do is an elimination diet. And I stopped eating gluten. I stopped eating dairy. Um, I really don't eat a whole lot of meat anymore. I mean, I stick to fish because the omega-3s are rather important. Um, I actually take cod liver oil every morning. I Try not to eat, avoid, I should say, processed oils. Probably I stick really to coconut oil and, and olive oil. You know, I really don't eat any process for the most part anymore. And once I did that, it was like a huge awakening of my health because I was suffering for about a year in my 20s, my early to mid-20s of depression. It was pretty bad. It was, it was a, I had to go on an SSRI, which is an antidepressant. And I think that really helped me. I don't want to necessarily discourage anybody from going on them, but yeah, I think you should be very careful. For me, I thought it was really a good thing for, you know, getting, you know, my brain rewired, you know, you get in this depressed state and it becomes normal. So that really helped me, I think, take the edge off and change my brain synapses and all that. So there, there's definitely some good value in it. But for me, I was really like almost instantly cured by just eating fruits and vegetables, just eating in a very simple sense, what you can describe as fiber and not just fiber, but very different types of fiber. In fact, recently got a book from uh, Will Bolsowitz. They call him the gut doctor. And one of his like biggest tips as a gastro doctor practicing, eat a lot of fiber and a diverse set of fiber 
not only just like one type of spinach, but multiple types of spinach, you know, not just one type of fig, but multiple types of figs. Like it was weird. And the other thing, by the way, is he says you should eat a lot of antioxidants. So I'll get to that in a minute, but it was weird at least how this comes back to my gardening experience is that every spring around June, I get a huge abundance of fruit at that time of the year. Not only am I eating from my spring garden, my spring garden, I pretty much start that out March 1st. By the time May 1st, maybe even late April rolls around, I'm starting to harvest things from my garden. Then around May 1st, I start getting my first uh, strawberries. Actually, not May 1st, maybe about mid-May. And then I, I start to get things like gumi and raspberries and currants, just a lot of antioxidant-rich berries, and it's not only that, but it's a huge diverse set of them that at the time I never clicked with me, but I had this really this theory like a year ago on my podcast, I was actually talking about this and saying, I want to be able to grow fruit all year. And if I can have fruit all year, cause I thought I felt so good because of the fruit. I thought that I was like, really just for whatever reason, you know, some people are more sensitive to specific foods, right? Some people are more sensitive to meats or dairy or whatever it is. I just thought for whatever reason, I did well on fruits and I didn't know why I didn't understand it, but I knew that around June, I felt really the best I'd ever felt in a long time. I had all this fruit, all these different antioxidants, all this fiber. And I was literally like a a deer out my backyard and it takes a while to get to this point, but you can, after maybe about four or five years, you get to this point where there's so much abundance in your yard maybe at one time that probably about 70% of what I was eating was coming right out of my backyard. And not only that, but I was eating it raw. I wasn't even really cooking it. I was just like a deer grazing through all my berry bushes and eating like handfuls of blueberries and raspberries and, and picking strawberries. And I felt great. So then I made this pact with myself to try to see if I could grow food or fruit at least have it all year. You know, you could, Believe it or not, there's a couple of fruits you can grow that you can harvest in the, in the wintertime. I actually just harvested some kumquats that I've been growing in a pot. And uh, you can grow citrus and actually have it throughout the wintertime. You can even have persimmons, which uh, persimmons, by the way, is probably my favorite fruit, even more so than figs. But uh, if you can get yourself an astringent persimmon, some of them will actually hang on the tree even in December and February, March. Or you can harvest them, let's say, prior to frost and then dehydrate them into like the most amazing dessert. Like it's like incredible how good these are. They're pretty similar to a really creamy mejul date that's uh, top grade A dried fruit. I don't, I'm getting a little nerdy here, but certainly persimmons are like top tier, I think in terms of dried fruit and you can have them all, all winter. So I was just thinking, yeah, let's just, let's do that. Let's grow fruit all year. Let's really try to make an effort of having something from my garden all year. Then I just had this epiphany. Like I said, I, I was kind of not feeling well. And in fact, my depression really was not very present, but it was certainly lingering. What I was struggling with about five months ago, um, and really for, I would say, quite some time, uh, was I had really bad brain fog. And I didn't feel like myself. It really dulls your mind. It really makes um, a good portion of my life, a good portion of my 20s, I felt like I was losing IQ. And part of that was sleep apnea. That was another problem I had, by the way. But the sleep apnea, once I fixed that, I became smart again. Started eliminating some of these problems in my life. 
once to eliminate a problem, you then recognize there's another problem. And it was just so many problems build up onto one thing that it was so hard to recognize what was actually wrong. I'm still not 100%, believe it or not. Just because I've been so stressed, I think that really had a big impact on my life the last month. But I will say that changing my diet away from gluten, not eating dairy, all the things I mentioned, not a whole lot of meat. Everybody's different. You know, someone might have a problem with soy, I've learned. People might have a problem with corn. You know, there's even glyphosate and things that really mess up your microbiome that if you grow the food yourself, you're not going to have that problem. Just getting enough fiber and a diverse set of fiber from your diet and most of it, like there was a certain tribe, I forget the name of it. They're the last uh, hunters, one of the last tribes in Africa that has not been touched. And whatever government they're they're in, they've like kind of let them do their thing. And um, okay, they're called the Hadza tribe. That's the name of them. And the Hadza people, they're thinking about this one particular strain of microbe in your stomach that keeps people thin. And people who are thin just have this microbe in abundance in their microbiome. I think they're in trials now, or they're going to be thinking about doing this soon where they can make people thin by very simply doing a fecal transplant of this one particular microbe and implanting it into people who are overweight and actually making them thin, they think, which is incredible. So I I think uh, certainly there deserves a place in my mind for traditional medicine. I don't want to be totally bashing traditional medicine because we need vaccines, right? We need surgery. There's people who get cancer and heart disease and all that. And it's like, there's an important place for all that, but for general health and just generally being healthy before you get these bad problems, I feel like we should be focusing more on functional medicine and, uh, and yeah, it just relates so well to living a more natural, holistic gardener life because you have access to that. You don't have to go to the store and find that very specialty Asian market to find the really awesome banana or to find the really awesome piece of fruit that's whatever it is. Actually, I do that to this day. I go to H Mart and I get these really awesome apple bananas and different fruits that you just can't find anywhere else. You can't even grow them, but it just makes common sense, at least in terms of the health aspect as well. And it really only clicked for me about five months ago, because like I said, I stopped eating dairy, I stopped eating gluten. The brain fog cleared up immediately. Within 12 days, all the lingering depression I had was gone. It was, I was like a whole new person again. Within 30 days, I felt happy. <laughs> Within uh, 30 days or somewhere around there, I don't know how many days it was, I probably could have listed about 10 different differences in my life that was significantly better in terms of my health just for that one doing that thing. And yeah, you know, some people are going to react differently than other people. You know, food is medicine. I think that's pretty powerful. So through all of the things that you're saying, I'm really hearing you don't know what you don't know. That kind of comes full circle what we talked about earlier. Like you don't know how much food plays into our lives until you feel what that health feels like on the other side. I went through a very similar journey uh, involving my own diet, my own nutrition, and specifically the work of Dr. Mark Hyman. I've listened to countless ones of his episodes and it's really just such an interesting dynamic of how most of the key illnesses that the society is facing, whether it's diabetes, Alzheimer's, SIBO, MS, a lot of those lifestyle related factors 
ultimately come from the food that we're putting in our body. And the unfortunate thing is that this functional medicine approach can't be sold in pill form. And I think that's a big barrier that faces this culture is that's clearly the answer, the food that we're putting into our bodies, whether it's the glyphosate in the wheat or how gluten, soy, dairy all affects our own microbiome. But that can't be sold by a pharmaceutical company. And ultimately, we go after the solutions that can be profitable. And by putting a patch, whether that's insulin for diabetes, like if diabetes is completely reversible, as you've probably heard on the doctor's pharmacy of just a low carbohydrate diet and get some good omega-3s, cut out all of the nonsense. Um, But that can't be sold by a pharmaceutical company. And I just kind of want to echo all of the things that you said around the fixation on fiber, I think is really important and a wide diversity. We're recording this in February. I recently did vegan January. And while I don't know if cutting out meat entirely was good for me, what was good for me was eating more plants than I ever have in my life. You know, I could tangibly feel just like more energetic and alive, kind of like what you alluded to when you had, I mean, 70% from your garden, that seems like something to dream of. That must have been an incredible time of different flavors, different energies, different foods. Um, So that was one definite benefit. And what was the name of the guy you mentioned again, who wrote the book around fiber and biodiversity? Dr. Will Bolsovitz. Will Bolsovitz. I think I heard him on a podcast recently, and he basically made the claim that we need to replace that fixation on protein that so many, you know, muscle builders and Instagram influencers of, oh, you got to get all of your protein and drink all of your shakes with a fiber. He says like a fiber supplement would do most people way more good than a muscle building protein shake or something. So yeah, really we'll comment just, on that real quick, though. Yeah, definitely. Know. I've heard him say actually pretty often a couple of times that your microbiome changes like every 20 minutes. So if you eat something, your microbiome is going to change. He does also mention that meat protein that doesn't have fiber in it is very unlikely to give you, well, it's not going to positively impact your, your microbiome, I should say. Because the fiber is really what's driving the positive impacts on your microbiome, feeding those microbes because they feed on the fiber. Meat doesn't have fiber in it, so you're not feeding them. Interestingly enough, your microbiome does change when you eat meat, and you can get better at digesting and eating meat. I don't want to necessarily bash meat either, because what I've learned from a farmer standpoint is that I don't necessarily pay attention to just fruits and vegetables. There's a pretty good amount of people who are also promoting and talking about raising animals. And in terms of raising animals, I can tell you without any doubt, it doesn't just apply to fruits and vegetables, right? You pick them at the right time, you raise them right, you have better soil, actually can impact the flavor as well. All these different things I mentioned impacts the quality of the fruit and vegetable. It's the same thing with these animals. If that if they live a more natural style, natural life, the animals are gonna not only taste better, they're gonna be more nutritious. They're probably not gonna give you nearly as many problems. I mean, think about dairy. One of the biggest problems is that First off, we probably shouldn't be eating it in general because it's a cow's milk instead of a human milk. But, you know, they have probably like all kinds of crazy things in that stuff, antibiotics, all kinds of things that we don't want to be really ingesting. You know, a a grain-heavy human, a corn-heavy human or a gluten-heavy human isn't a healthy human. I don't have never tasted human, but I probably would venture to guess that, you know, if there's somebody who's eating lots of fiber, 
is probably going to be a better choice to eat that than someone who's eating just grain. So animals are the same thing. And I think I haven't yet experimented enough with grass fed and pasture raised beef or meat, I should say. I know specifically fish is actually quite dangerous in terms of farm raised fish because the amount of toxins that they can store in their fat and these grains and these anti- these medicines and antibiotics in the water are really not helping. And of course there's mercury, whatever. So, you know, it's the same thing with these, uh, with these animals. And I just think if you can get it from a good source, I don't want to necessarily write it off yet. Although I'm more of the belief because of this doctor, like I said, who was really saying, you know, the meat doesn't impact your microbiome in a positive way. Well, I probably shouldn't be eating most of my diet as meat. Now that's me again. So I'm sure somebody else could have a very different effects from a, something like a keto diet or something totally different than what I'm doing. Cause it's just crazy. Like about going back to nature is that all these different fruits and vegetables are genetically very different. It's really incredible. Even within their own species. We're all the same species, but we're all genetically very different. So I wouldn't doubt it at all that some people would do so much better on meat than they would on fruits and vegetables. So yeah, I just wanted to interject with that. Yeah, definitely, man. All different at different times in our lives. You know, like I just did a microbiome analysis, but I took it last January. So it's been five weeks since I took it and I still haven't gotten my results yet. So in the time that I took it and now I've done vegan for a month and done like a bit of a, I did a 48 hour fast in between those two times. So it's almost like the results are going to be worthless because my microbiome is entirely different than it was when I took the analysis, you know, like we're all different uh, genetically, but then we're all different based on what we specifically have been eating or haven't been eating. And that is like constantly in flux. And I think Ben has a pretty unique story around his experience with soy that I think ties in pretty well. If you feel like oh, yeah? chatting about with that. Yeah, I'd love to share it. But before we continue, um, because we're towing on a very slippery slope, like Ross, what you alluded to, I call that proximity learning. You're learning through proxy, right? Dr. Hyman's your proxy. You've gave him the proximity of you trust him. So you're learning through him. But after the end of the day, we're still learning through proxy. We're not the direct source of learning. And that's why I want to echo what you said, Ross. I think it's very unhealthy to view any diet as good or bad. I view everything as it services you or it disservices you, period. Because I know a lot of people on carnival diets, they fucking swear by the effect. And But the thing is, uh, like people like Joe Rogan, I think he does one or two months every year on carnival diet, except his meat is extremely high quality, tester raised from like family farms, right? It's not factory farming. Uh, the same way I, I gave on meat three years ago, not because I'm anti-meat, I'm anti-factory farming meat. And we just don't have enough data on what those hormones are going to do to us. Like we won't find yeah. out until like 30, 40 years down the road, right? Mm-hmm. That's why it was easier for me to rather than filter out, oh, like I can't afford Wagyu or Kobe beef every single day. So it was easier for me in terms of practicality wise to just cut out meat and of course I flex it once a while, but I'm mainly a vegetarian, right? Uh, but I do wanna be upfront about that everything we've discussed here, it's we've learned that through a proxy. And of course they are right. from a lot of credible source like Dr. Hyman, he's very well known, but at the end of the day, we are not doctors. And even for mm-hmm. doctors, there's so many different variations among the medical field. 
And so I do want to uh, be cautious of that, saying that this is our own experience, especially for Ross. It's your anecdotal experience, which is why you kept uh, wanting to interject that earlier. So um, yeah. I do think that we need to perceive it as like veganism services a lot of people. It also disservices a huge amount of people, right? My flexitarian diet where I eat meat a few times a year, but primarily vegetarian <laughs> until recently soy and fish served me well until it didn't. Um, but I just wanted to um, um, share that because like we are not doctors. We are not, none of us are qualified. But yeah, so with my storytelling, this is so funny. So I told Aiden and my girlfriend yesterday, so I've been soy free for two weeks now and because I don't eat meat, but I'm very into the bodybuilding and physique. So I need to get my adequate intake of protein. Of course, it's a fallacy that meat protein is a, a better protein than plant-based protein. That's not the case, but it is easier to access protein through meat because you have to eat a lot more abundance of soy or other yeah. alternatives. Anyway, so exactly, also cheaper. So I've been consuming soy my whole life. Like soy is a fundamental ingredient in Asian culture, right? A lot of broth has tofu. Like tofu is a very staple in our culture. Um, but the thing is, I would experience diarrhea every single day. Like before uh -huh. I come over here for my interview every single weekend, uh, I would always suffer from diarrhea every single day. But the thing is, I didn't think there was anything wrong with that because I've normalized that experience. I thought yeah. me having diarrhea daily is part of my health or that's part of, I just thought I have sensitive GI issues or whatever. Uh, but yeah. anyway, um, ever since I, I've learned more about microbiomes, about the gut health, I've been doing more uh, medical research on it. I realized maybe I should completely disengage from soy for two weeks to reset a certain extension of my microbiome. And my girlfriend said, that's a good idea. I've legit been diarrhea free for two weeks. As soon as I gave up soy which is baffling to me, right? On Wait, top, when did you do this? Uh, two weeks ago. I gave up soy two oh, weeks ago. Oh, you just did this? I just did this. And I've been diarrhea-free oh, wow. immediately. Well, but well. obviously, the first week was inconclusive. There was like, maybe other factors. So we wanted to monitor for more than a week. Uh, but it's been diarrhea-free. And I realized the only time I had diarrhea was when I had pizza. So that was like, fuck. I'm also, so, <laughs> I'm also lactose intolerant. And it took me 27... I'm almost 28. It took me nearly 28 years to find yeah. out that I'm incompatible with soy and dairy um, yeah. but i've felt amazing even me saying that i didn't realize i didn't have to have diarrhea that's very comical but it really depicts my reality is that's how i, I felt awesome yeah uh, so i do support and subscribe to the elimination diet but like i said yeah. on the cautionary tale you can't really subscribe to anything just because it worked for us we're unique uh, to our individual experiences so uh, yeah. it's like for you what you're talking about it's important to experiment and just see mm -hmm. what works for you at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the best advice I can give. Not, you know, not a doctor, don't know anything really about health other than learning from somebody else. But the best advice I could give is just trying an elimination diet. You know, you're, you're not feeling well. I bet you there's something in your diet that could be affecting you. So in terms of maybe, you know, meat being better than plants in any sense, maybe that can be proven someday. But again, we really don't know. I think it's amazing, Ben, that what made you do this? Did you, uh, was it just like your girlfriend said this, but did you, how did you get this idea of eliminating something from your diet? Was it talking to Aiden or was it talking to me or who was like? Well, so it's a lot more just practical than that. It wasn't like a grand reason. It was, I, I ran out of soy. I ran out of tofu in my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> and then I believe like two weeks ago, remember that snowstorm? 
Yeah, so yeah. I ran out of tofu, and it was a snowstorm, so I couldn't drive to a grocery store. So I. Oh, wait, let me ask you this. Yeah. Are you getting uh, organic tofu, or is this just like any tofu? Doesn't matter if it's organic, not organic. Is this like also soybeans, like edamame, like olive soy, or what? So I do buy a lot, a lot of organic fruit and vegetables. So for like anything that's whole, like blueberries, I buy organic. Uh, for zucchini, yeah. I buy organic. So like the whole plant that I have to wash, I usually buy organic. But for tofu, uh, I don't. I go for extra firm because like the texture. Because I'm very good at yeah. cooking tofu, and I want to mimic the texture of meat, right? Like just because yeah, yeah, I yeah. gave up meat doesn't mean I love. I still love meat. I'm just doing it for uh, my own reasons. But the main tofu is uh, based off just soy from like uh, soybeans. They're mainly from soybeans. I haven't tried edamame. I know there's a lot of other type of protein or other type of soy, but the main soy that I didn't learn is just from uh, soybeans. And yeah, so when I ran out of tofu, I was like, well, I still need protein. I had a Beyond Burger patties, which is a fake meat. Obviously, it's not the healthiest alternative. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can go into that's way beyond my scope of understanding. But I just, for my sake of convenience, it wasn't like a grand reason. I just say I'll replace tofu with mm-hmm. uh, Beyond Burgers because they have similar protein count and it fits yeah. in my macronutritions. And so now you're on this kick then. Yeah, I've, I haven't had soy since. And having two Beyond patties or fake meat every single day is also not healthy. The Also, the thing yeah. about like what my girlfriend said is because she's going to be a GI doctor, is that oh, with, any, with anything... If you have three times a day, I've had, I had tofu three times a day for my main source of protein. Even if I wasn't soy intolerant, it will cause some detrimental effect in my microbiome and my gut health. And so she mm-hmm. said that you might not have been allergic to soy before, but as you get yeah. older, based on our microbiome's changes, we become more allergic. That's a fact. Like everyone becomes more allergic. There's more allergens as you get older. So she said that it might be because I've consumed too much soy. For the past year that have caused my new allergic reactions but we don't really know the exact point all i know is i've been diarrhea free for the past two weeks without uh soy and cheese when i'm pretty i'm pretty sad about but i guess i'll just take my my my, my medicine before i consume so, cheese so now you're you are like um, what i'm saying is you're going on this elimination diet kick like you're now trying to remove other foods besides soy you did the cheese the dairy Mm-hmm. Are you going to consider anything else? Like if you have problems, I guess. Uh, yeah, for sure. I've always been pretty open-minded about elimination diet, and I always subscribe to the, I guess, the ethos of elimination diet. And I've done that before. Like I've done vegan before. I've done okay. keto before. Which yeah. that keto for me is the worst diet because I'm very sensitive to fat. It did not serve me very well. That's why I'm so big on what services you or the services you rather than good or bad because it's extremely yeah. subjective, right? So yeah, based on like right now, I feel great. So I don't see a need to eliminate any more diet. Gotcha. But if my situation changes or if I feel worse or better, I will adjust it as I, as I go along. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really incredible stuff, the whole microbiome. Um, but I wanted to know also the soy, because you said you're eating tofu, but you're not eating edamame. You're not eating like actual soybeans. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like in terms of my perspective, I grow soybeans every year. And I eat edamame probably like, I'll probably get like, you know, six or seven nice little, uh, appetizers a year of edamame for my own garden. And it's incredible. And I'm like, this is the best shit ever. But I wonder if there's a difference because there's, you know, with a lot of these tofu products or with a lot of soy products in the world, whatever it is, even if it's soybeans, a lot of them are sprayed with glyphosate roundup from Monsanto. So it's like, 
that I know that for sure affects, at least Dr. Hyman said that glyphosate can affect your microbiome. So perhaps maybe it's not the soy, maybe it's all, maybe it's the fact that it's the glyphosate on the soy that's creating a leaky gut or something that's then making you more, whatever, not feel as good when you're eating soy. I don't know, but. Uh, could be because, I mean, like you said, tofu is processed, whereas edamame or consuming direct soybeans are more natural, I suppose. Like, I love to try it out. Uh, like I said, I'm a little bit scared to reintroduce soy into my life just because I've experienced the blissful side on the other other end. But uh, yeah. I'm very big on experimentation, so I would definitely um, experiment with different soybean sources for sure. So we're really glad we got to jump in, dive into those micro elements of food, how food preference and nutrition has impacted all of our lives. There are certainly the bigger macro issues of nutrition and food scarcity that I alluded to, but I don't think any of us are equipped to talk about such large policy ideas like that. So I think we should err on the things that we are knowledgeable and have experience to talk about. And the thing that comes to mind is your personal experience. Uh, One of the things that you mentioned and we've seen from afar that I greatly admire is the way that you brought your passion for growing figs completely profitable and see that as a long-term career. I think a lot of us have a side project that we're kind of working on at the time that's with the 21st century. A lot of people like finding fulfillment outside of the normal nine to five. And I think your experience would speak elegantly to how you made that a full-time project. So if you could share a little bit about your story of how you did this uh, beautiful journey. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to tell you guys. Um, Cause I think it's, it's an interesting perspective, an interesting story about how I'm, how my life is continuing even today and how I'm going to end up next year. Cause my plan is at least to buy some land and it's kind of crazy how it's all kind of come together, you know, cause um, I would eventually, for those that don't know, I, you know, I am an accountant. I am getting my CPA license to actually take over my dad's firm, which is where I'm at right now. So that was always, I guess, in a sense, my, my backup plan, because I didn't necessarily knew, know what I wanted to do when I graduated college or even going into college. I just knew I had a list of all these different things I wanted to get done. And it seemed very daunting. And it just seemed like it was all over the place because, you know, I have interests that are in different areas of, of life. And I didn't necessarily ever imagine this, this happening. And I, you know, like I said, that song by the Fleet Foxes really brought me to some sort of inspiration to think about doing this because when I grew up, I'm sure you guys would agree that, and a lot of people today don't even think you can make money growing food or having a nursery. I mean, it's, they're tough businesses. You know, if, if I had a client that came in cause we handle small businesses and do their taxes and they sat down and they said, Ross, what do you think about this new business I'm going to start? And it's going to be growing food. I would say, well, you probably shouldn't do it. You know? <laughs> so I think there's a niche that you have to find. My niche, of course, is figs. And that's worked out for me to the point where I actually believe every day. I mean, it's becomes a more and more firm belief that this will be my job at some point in the future, that I won't have to be a CPA forever and that it'll be like, I always planned it to be was to have this accounting business in conjunction or as a fallback, as something I could rely on to then move into 
my passion, whatever it is I really wanted to do. I also had this other thought when I was in, in school, like, oh, I'll just go to school for finance and I'll learn how to make money and then I'll sell my soul and somehow get rich and then do whatever I want to do. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's a lot of people's perspective on life. I, in fact, there's a farm up in a uh, brick farm market in New Jersey. That's kind of what they did. They, it was a, a husband and a wife. They made a whole bunch of money in finance, quit their jobs and bought a farm and created this whole market and all kinds of things. So there's only certain ways to do this, I think. And unfortunately people that are into this and into farming, it's such a huge barrier that it's so ridiculous of a thought to even consider this is your job. Like you don't make enough money. A lot of people have to, you know, rent a tractor, rent land, buy land. There's so many just things in, in the way of actually accomplishing your goal. A lot of that's why myself and a lot of other people like myself have started urban farms or urban orchards and things like that to grow food at home in a smaller setting. I mean, there's a lot of food you can grow in a small place. That's kind of why the food system is, is messed up, I guess, in, as it is, <laughs> is that we have these giant farms for what, you know? Um, yeah, we need food security, but you can grow a ton of food at a really high quality in a small farm intensively with the right techniques and with a lot less labor, with a lot less tractors, with a lot less pesticides. It really does tie in um, to what we've been talking about. So I think um, because I was inspired by other YouTubers, I really liked watching videos on YouTube about people growing food. Those are really the teachers that I had was the people on YouTube teaching me their lessons and what they thought was right before I really figured out what was, what was right. Those people sort of inspired me because they were doing it in such a unique and fun way. They inspired me then to start this whole process of documenting. So I was like, oh, well, I'm going to grow all these trees and all these plants. And like me and Ben, I think we were talking about earlier in the podcast, we were talking about, you know, you plant a tree and it turns into this thing over years that you can always look back and say, wow, that's something I did, right? You can you know in your mind that it was a seed and then this year it was that and the next year it was that and then it got bigger and bigger and put out more fruit. So it's like, I always thought it'd be so cool to document, to always have a record of like my life. I don't know about you guys, but I think there is a good value in Facebook at least. And maybe some of you guys aren't on Facebook anymore. We moved to Instagram and things like that. But at least Facebook, you can always go back and see like all this stupid stuff you did in your life. You know what I mean? Like, you ever just get really nostalgic and just, I don't know. I like that feeling. So for me, that's kind of what my immediate thought was, Oh, this is fun. I like public speaking. Um, I like teaching people things. Um, let me just document this whole thing and see what happens. Just like, whatever. I'll just, I don't even care if I make money. My intention wasn't even to make money. I didn't think I could even make money. I didn't even think I would get viewers. I was like, why are people even watching this crap? You know? So, <laughs> Then I just uh, eventually just started sharing what I've learned and uh, it got some attention and people, I think really with the help of some of the communities I was a part of, it really started to take off. And then from there, I became, I formed a reputation, not just a reputation of like, oh, I'm the YouTuber guy, right? Even though it was very slow. I mean, I think I... The first year I did it, I ended up getting a thousand subscribers. Then the second year I did it, somehow it turned into 10,000. And then 
Um, it still hasn't really taken off the way that it did in the beginning, but you know, I had this reputation of being a gardener who does YouTube, but more importantly, I think what made me successful was that if you can even say I'm successful, but the point is, is that I was very passionate about figs, like extremely passionate. And I think, like I said, you got to have a niche, right? So figs was my little niche. And, you know, if someone wants to grow a particular, like have, have a farm, well, you should probably have an idea before you start a farm, what it is you're going to grow. And you better be pretty darn good at growing that particular thing to the point where you can either do it better than somebody else, offer it at a better price, some sort of economical advantage, right? So for me, figs is like one of those things that in this area, if you think about it, who's selling figs, right? There is no local fig guy or not many people. They're just not easy to grow, as I mentioned, right? It's too humid. So the only place you can get them is from California and they ship them across the country. What do we learn about shipping them and you know, picking them early is that they're not going to taste very good. They're going to even um, have to hang on the shelf for a while. And they're going to mold and figs are just not a fruit that was meant to be shipped. It's just not like strawberries and tomatoes. They're soft. Figs are soft. And if they're soft, you can't put them on the shelf. So my idea, my niche is like, I want to get to the point where I could sell these things. I want people to experience my experience. I like sharing good stuff. Like if I have like a song I really like, I want to share it with people. If I have a particular bottle of wine I really like, I want people to taste it. Right. So it's the same thing with these figs. I want people to, to taste these. And if they're not willing to grow them, which isn't feasible for some people, um, it's not easy. It's, uh, you know, it's not for everybody, although I think everybody should do it, but I want to be able to provide that to people at a higher quality than California. So I've sort of I really have devised a way to grow figs in Pennsylvania in a climate where you shouldn't be growing figs at a quality that rivals and actually should surpass California. Not only is it going to ripen around the same time or maybe even a little bit earlier, I can bring my product to market earlier than California, but it's going to be at a higher quality. Why is it going to be a higher quality? Because I have a vast variety of genetics. The other reason is, I am going to pick the fruits at the right proper time so that when they get to market, they're right. And it's local. I'm not going to be shipping them across the country and worrying about them spoil or ferment. So I think people, when they taste these particular figs, they're going to really be blown away and it's going to really bring a ton of attention um, towards my particular product and create more of a market than I've already created. Now that's, jumping so far ahead because I haven't even done that yet. Like I haven't even sold a single fig yet. Most of the success I've had so far has been through my videos, through my podcast, consulting work, every little which way that I could offer some sort of service to people to help them in some way. The other way I've been, you know, making this profitable as a side business was actually to sell cuttings, to sell sticks, right? I said, my grandfather sticks them in the ground and then they turn into trees. Well, you can do the same thing. Um, If I sell you a branch, I'll do that. So, and figs are just one of those magical things that propagate so much easier than a lot of other plants. It really is. You just stick it in the soil. Um, Other things like, let's say pears and stone fruits and apples, 
you can't really stick them in the ground and hope that they're going to, to root and turn into a tree. It's pretty unlikely. What most people do in, with those fruits is that they do something called grafting, which is a different form of propagation. But there's only so many people in the world, in the country, let's say, that want to grow figs, right? Or want to grow whatever. The only way to increase that number to actually have a larger customer base is to inspire people to actually grow figs. So you need to be passionate about what you do, and then you need to inspire other people. And the person that can do that is going to have success, is going to bring and continue this business because in all honesty, a lot of these, um, the economics and some of the varieties, whether they're rare, the price is not always going to be as high as some of these things have gone for. So I don't know if you're familiar with this, but some of these cuttings and some of these varieties sell for really outrageous prices. People have bought, at least for me, trees that cost $300 or more. One little tree that's like this big, you know, like nine inch pot by four inches wide, one gallon size pot. And then some people even bought cuttings for me this winter that went for over $600. So that's two cuttings. So it's just, this is a very niche and interesting little market that I've found and became a part of and came at it from the right point of view because I wasn't in, in this to make money from the beginning. I realized that you could make some money at it. And then I started realizing that, oh, if I can make money at this, it might be worth it to me to actually be able to get a farm to, in a sense, inspire more people, you know? So it, I guess it sort of spiraled from there. Um, yeah, that's a very powerful story because you may view it as a magical outcome, but like you talked about, you paid your dues, right? You simply followed the due process and the outcome just happened to be aligned with your work which is an affirmation of your process and the effort you've put in for the past years. And I think that alludes to a common theme Aiden and I talk about on the show is like, I don't think we should subscribe to the idea of following your passion. Instead, we need to find your passion. Like you talked about when you started growing figs when you're 24 due to flooding, you weren't like, oh, figs are going to be profitable. I'm going to be a full-time orchardist or I'm going to be a full-time fix grower. Even until this day, like at this very moment interviewing you today, I'm still in disbelief that you're making money off of growing figs. It's so beyond my scope of understanding and my realm of what America considers as profitable, right? But because you talked about you didn't follow your passion because you didn't know it was a passion of yours until you've paid your dues, you paid your due process, and instead you were able to find your passion, which I think is a powerful lesson I hope people can take away from this lesson that it's okay to feel lost. It's okay to not have a tunnel vision since the get-go because life is long, right? Like you're in your 30s, we're in our late 20s, and you don't know how a new passion is going to emerge. You don't know how your path is going to divert from your intended path. You don't know what you don't know. But all we can do is focus on the process, focus on the day, focus on the micro, and do your part. And if you do your part long enough, I think, Ross, you're a prime example to show that the outcome may seem like magic, but simply the validation of the effort you put in. So um, yeah, really powerful story. And I think that's a perfect segue into the question we always ask is if you're the designer of this mentorship program, whether it's for fix, whether it's for life, whether it's general lessons, what are some of the devices you would hope to instill to inspire people uh, like you talked about? Man, I mean, just be passionate. I think is like, for me, at least in my family, I mean, my grandfather, I, we joked about him in the beginning and I joke about him all the time. It's like he just introduced me to all these things in life that were worth 
learning and worth doing. You know, I play tennis because of him. I learned how to cook because of him. So, I mean, I think if you want to really inspire somebody though, you should be the grandfather, but um, you certainly want to be a good example. You want to obviously share the love that you have for whatever it is. And then let people recognize that. I think it really relates well to like women and dating, you know, you could say that you're X, Y, and Z, right? You could say, I'm this, I'm that, I'm whatever, right? But if you just show the other person how you are, what, you, what you're what you about, it, it makes a lot more sense. It, it clicks with a lot more people and that's what they want to see, you know? Like they want to be able to see that you're actually enjoying what it is that you did so that it then, of course, is inspiring. Like if it wasn't interesting to me, it wouldn't be interesting to anybody else. That's kind of why I've been struggling recently and that's kind of what everybody I think that's a content creator struggles with is like, not everything's interesting that I do, you know, um, to me. And if I've learned that if it's not interesting to me, I probably shouldn't be making content about it. I don't want to make content just to make content. Somehow it ends up working out like that. Maybe I'm not in a great mood and I don't seem like I'm interested in it, but certainly, you know, I think that's a big lesson there is like be passionate and, it'll just magically happen baby steps because I can't tell me any people I know and talk to that at least our age are just lost. You know, they don't know what direction they want to go in in their life. And, uh, it's, I feel bad. And it's not like it's the end of the world either, but I think if we have the right mindset of not looking at it, like I said, from the big picture and you're just, let's say you want to be a rock star. Well, first step is to, learn how to play an instrument or learn how to sing, right? If you already know how to do that, then the next step, just go play some music for fun. Just see what happens. So come at it from the right perspective. And I think no matter who it is, someone's going to be attracted to what you're, what you're doing. Great advice, man. Uh, actions speak louder than words is kind of the timeless wisdom that always that's come into mind based on the advice you said. Uh, I've been riffing a lot on an idea of doing things that expand or give feelings of expansion right like what you said if it's content that excites you you'll write it if it's content that doesn't excite you you'll probably leave it to the side but really embracing those experiences whether it's cooking playing tennis those things that make you feel alive which as someone who's kind of looking out across to see what's next in my personal and career life i'm trying to embrace those ideas and your interview is definitely or talking to you today has definitely really helped me instill some of those lessons. Um, So kind of as we're wrapping up a little bit, we like to pose one question that kind of embodies the discover more idea. So on one hand, we'd like to challenge you to discover more something about in your everyday life. You don't necessarily have to share that with us, but just walking away from this interview, we want you to discover more about something. And then what would you leave our audience to discover more about? Well, I think first and foremost, we should be healthy, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's very difficult to do anything in life. It's just crazy. I think no offense to anybody out there in their mid to late twenties that let's say just had a kid or something, but I can imagine to myself, like if I wasn't being, if I wasn't healthy and I wasn't able to really take care of myself, how am I going to take care of something else? Really just try to focus on yourself, get healthy, whatever it is that you need to do. There's so many people that our age, because of our food system, it really is because of our food system. I I don't know how else really to blame it. I mean, you could blame your genetics, but we just are not healthy as a society. 
And a lot of the people who are our age guys that I think Ben had a similar thing where perhaps, and maybe this isn't accurate, but maybe we're getting older, right? So our bodies are changing and maybe there was something in Ben and I that something triggered in our bodies and said, don't eat that anymore. You know? So like, there's just something that to be said there, I think for our health is just getting yourself in a position to succeed. Otherwise you're never going to succeed. You know, some of the people that Aiden like yourself that need to find that thing, you know, if you're not in that good place in your life, I think it's, it's so much more difficult to find that thing and you got to be patient. And I would also say to add on the last question is like, I mean, I, at least for me, I had this problem where I wanted to have all these different interests and all these different hobbies which is why it's so difficult to pass the CPA exam partly is like you want to focus your attention on all these different things. But at some point you really got to just hammer it down and focus on one thing. Otherwise it's so difficult to really ever realize that dream or whatever that thing is that you really want to do. It's one thing to know what it is. It's another thing to actually do it. And I think that would have really, if I didn't really, really, really love growing food, I don't know if I ever would have got here. So you have to like really love it to want to put other things aside. Like I was painting, put that aside. I was, you know, considering music, put that aside. I was playing tennis a lot more than I have recently, had to put that aside for my CPA exam. So, you know, whatever it is that you got to do, unfortunately, you got to be better at time management, I think. Can't believe I'm saying that of all people, but, um, Important yeah, advice. It's a, great, it's a great question, guys. Yeah. Appreciate the advice nonetheless. That's definitely going to leave me walking away with a lot of things to think over. Uh, we definitely want to say a huge thank you for spending the last three hours with us and sharing both your story and a lot of your lessons from across the way. It's been awesome talking to you, man. Just a quick response to that is uh, I don't know if you heard about the fable, Don't Be a Donkey. So it's a famous, <laughs> it's like, Don't Be a Donkey. What that means is, a donkey is incapable of prioritizing a task. So there is a donkey, there is water to his left and a carrot to his right. And the donkey uh-huh. couldn't decide between the water and the carrot. So the donkey ended up dying of starvation and thirst. But what uh-huh. the donkey should have done is you can drink water first and then get the carrots. And I think that's a very yeah. big life lesson that all of us are too, so boggled down by trying to achieve all these things uh, simultaneously. But what we can do is we can do everything we want to, just in increments. You're tackling your CPA right now. Once you get to check the book, you can focus on your painting. You can focus on your painting for a few years, focus on the music, you know? So I think we could achieve everything we want to achieve, but we just have to be more intentional about how we delegate our time, uh, which is what you alluded to, prioritize your task at hand that is most relevant to your experiences, right? But yeah, I like to echo what Aiden said. Um, I honestly didn't know what to expect coming to this interview because this is definitely one of the more unique interviews we've ever done in such a niche field. However, we do subscribe to the idea that there's always something to be more discovered about, operating from an intentional point. And I really, really enjoyed his conversations. Uh, I didn't understand half the technical terms you said (laughs) during the first half of the interviews, I'm to be frank. However, I think there's a lot of wisdom, like you talked about how you're able to learn stillness through the nature. I think you're able to embody a lot of the bigger than life lessons through your journey. And I really, really personally enjoyed that. I'm sorry, but I really appreciate your time, Ross. Uh, How can people connect with you? Check out your YouTube, because I know you have a pretty considerable base on there as well. 
Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate I like doing this kind of thing. It's nice to do a podcast for once that I'm talking to people. I mean, even though I talk most of it, but it's nice to have someone else a part of this thing. Um, but yeah, I uh, if anytime you guys want to have me back on, I'm happy to join. You know, this is fun. But yeah, you guys, if anyone out there is interested, I'm sure I'm going to plug you guys as well on my Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and all that. You guys can find me on uh, Facebook, Instagram. I have a YouTube channel, which is really where most of my content is. It's uh, youtube.com slash Ross Ratty. Same thing with Facebook and Instagram. I also have a podcast. My podcast is called Fruit Talk, where I talk a lot about different fruits and vegetables I grow, more in-depth, more nerdy type stuff. But also some episodes are about what I'm doing where my season's going, also some newbie advice and things like that. Um, I wouldn't say for anybody out there who's new to this, my channel's for everybody. It is kind of a mix of, you know, some things are very nerdy and in-depth and like expert level kind of things. And then some of it's more based on, you know, really just getting your feet wet and all those stuff. So, but my podcast, you can find that Fruit Talk on iTunes, all the different platforms. I have it on Anchor. And then finally, I have a blog. It's called figboss.com. It's very fig specific. And uh, it's really where I'm kind of putting together a lot of my thoughts on figs into um, either helpful pieces of advice, really in-depth information that hopefully I was going to be able to translate that well sometime after I pass my exam into a book. So yeah, stay tuned for all that, guys. And uh, Aiden, Ben, I, you know, Thank you guys for having me on. Really do appreciate it. Yeah. And as always, for all the listeners out there, we will include all the information in the show notes below. And as always, appreciate everyone that joined us on our journey of discovering more this week. And I hope to see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.